welcome to Cross Life Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. We pray that this message from our associate pastor, Matthew Wolfskill, will encourage and challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening. Talking about the Holy Spirit tonight. Surprise, surprise. It's been a while since I've got to preach about the Holy Spirit. I was uh, on vacation and actually had the chance to go to um, my father-in-law's church, which happened to be the church where I met Tiffany at. And I uh, got to preach there a few Sundays, a couple of Sundays ago, two Sundays ago, three, three Sundays ago. And uh, guess what I preached on? Holy Spirit. Boy, those Baptists were surprised. Whew. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I got to preach on the Holy Spirit, and just I was like, I'm gonna see him one time. And I got you know 35 minutes. I'm gonna give it all I got. So they got it, got it good. But I've really I've sat down and I've tried to lay out. I'm like God, I just want an outline of like how to go through this series with you. And I and I, I mean, I'm putting stuff together, and I'm like I I gotta have this outline. And he's like, I want you to preach what sets you on fire when you're studying. And it's really like, that's just the best I can do. So I'm even like noticing and like tonight I'm going to tell you things that I'm going to have to tell you other things to make those things make sense a little bit. And then I'm going to have to go back and explain those things. And so I apologize because it's not, it doesn't fit a good order, but I'm just going to do what sets my heart on fire. So when I was studying, I just, I'll just go, Holy Spirit, what, what's next? Like what? Because I'm just reading everything I can. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm studying. I'm going through the scriptures about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what just like gets me excited. So uh, a little while back last week or something, I'm just reading through my, my devotional reading, my just my daily set reading that I have. And I'm reading in the end of John where he's talking about like the, the last supper and, and he's talking about his disciples getting ready for the cross. And he says this line in the version, I don't even remember the version I was reading, but he said this line. He said, I want you to love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. And I mean, just something, you know how when you're reading, just like one line just goes, right? And I'm like, that's the Holy Spirit, right? And so like, and then I ask questions. I'm like, how? Like, how do we love each other deeply? What does that look like? Romans 5, I'm going to hit a ton of scriptures tonight. He's not going to put them up. You can write them down. You can flip real quick or you can just, you know, take my word for it. This is in the Bible. That's also good. Romans 5.5 5 says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured, wow, that was fast. Jim, you is on it, dude, way to go. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our ability to love deeply is through the Holy Spirit. Okay, like I can't love to the depth that God calls me to unless it's from the Holy Spirit accomplishing that through me. So why do I need the Holy Spirit to love you, to love those around me? It has to come through the Holy Spirit. Another way of putting this is Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, right? Okay, so he's saying if love's going to happen in you, it's going to come through the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to produce love in me. But here's my questioning, because I just, I'm a simple guy. I don't think real deep thoughts all the time. But here's my questioning, is like, I look around and people that don't have the Holy Spirit, and not because I'm judging, because they're not Christians, so they don't have the Holy Spirit, they love each other. Right? You'd be, you'd be silly to say that people that aren't Christians can't love. And, 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 and love pretty cool. Like, you know, there's a lot of unsaved couples that have been married for 100 years. And so I'm like, God, what's the difference? What sets apart Christianity in that way? What puts us in, in a different way? Because I don't, I think there is another level that, that we too often can get caught. We can be like, man, we just, we love each other, but it doesn't set us apart enough from the world. But there's a depth of love that we can walk in that people would go, man, you ain't seen that in Hollywood. There's a depth of love in a place in the Holy Spirit we're called to walk in that you're, you, we're not seeing that you're not going, man, that's just like any other couple. There should be something that so sets them apart. Why did Jesus say? He said, you, they'll know you by your love one for another. Right? 
John 13. They'll, they'll, they'll know you by, they'll recognize that you belong to me by your ability to love one another. And I'm like, man, that's a depth of love we're not particularly seeing, but I think we can get there. I think he's trying to produce, I think he's calling us in that place. I think us getting kind of tuned in to the Holy Spirit is drawing us into a new place of love we haven't seen before. Okay? So, so, so there is something. There is a new depth to that. Here's the crazy thing. I think we fall short in our ability to love because we're trying to imitate Christ's love. Instead of diligently allowing the fruit of love to be produced in us. Think about that for a second, okay? I, th- I think we're, we're missing the mark because we're trying to copy what he's doing. We're trying to love like him instead of allowing the Spirit of God to produce the fruit of love within us. Now, imitation of Christ is not bad. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But, but there's, a, there's a depth there that we're missing. There's, there's something there that, that, that's more because 1 Peter 2, or, 1 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Peter 1, 4 says that we're to be partakers of his divine nature. Ephesians, he said, you're flesh of his flesh, you're bone of his bone. So we're not supposed to simply look like him, we're in him. Does that make sense? He's, he's hidden within us. And so this idea that I just look and I'm like, I'm just going to try to be like him, try to be like him, try to be like him. And he's going, no, I just need you to abide in me. But we as Christians really get caught up in the idea of like, I got to look like him. And I'm saying, just stop and just be with him. And as we are like him, as we're, as we're with him, we begin to look more like him. But we're, we're, we're getting caught in kind of a works thing when we're so worried about imitating who he is. I know that's a weird way to put it. I know that's, that's a weird way of thinking about it, but there's something. There's something there. Our likeness to Christ, this is a guy named Jay Lancaster, smart fella. He said, our likeness to Christ is therefore not something applied from without. It's not cosmetic transformation produced from the formula of some religious makeup department. It's a genuine likeness produced by an intimate relationship with him. As you dive deeper into the things of the Holy Spirit, you're just going to look more like him because you are partakers of his divine nature. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead rise right here. He lives here. So as I'm abiding with him, as, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm the branch in his vine, I'm partaking of his divine nature, I'm the flesh of his flesh, the bone of his bone, then, then it's not I'm going, man, i got to look like him. It's going, I am like him. I love deeply like he, he loves. Through that place of abiding. See, there's a significant difference between people that are trying to be better people and people that are having the fruit produced in them. Right? Because anywhere in the world, people are trying to be better people. You can take classes on ethics. You can, you can try to be good. How many of you know somebody that's a good person that's not saved? I know tons of them. Right? So, so, so there, but, there, but there has to be something different when the fruit of God is produced, when the fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced in us. Look at this, Galatians 5. That's why we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit tonight, in case you weren't with me. Galatians 5 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's something different, though, when we're trying to produce something of our own works versus the Holy Spirit producing something. When we're trying to build something. I mean, you, you see that contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Chad Joel Samwick, he said, the most striking feature of the contract, 
of the contrast is the emphatic change from works to fruit. Works belong to the workshop. Fruit belongs to the garden. One comes from the ingenuity of the factory. The other is the silent growth of abounding life. The factory operates with dead stuff. The garden cultivates living forces to their appointed end. Works are always, listen to this, works are always in the realm of dead things. The factory is made up of, 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 of trees that have died. The factory is made up of things that are decaying and falling apart. There's no life in the stones and the brick and steel joists and iron girders. They're all dead in the process of disintegration. Nothing material lasts. Man's best works fail and fade, crumble and pass away. Fruit does not come of man's labors. It requires, listen to this, it requires his diligence, but it's neither his invention nor his product. He does not make the flowers. No skill of his bring the golden harvest of the fields or the luscious fruit upon the trees. When man has done all he can, then God begins and life proceeds. Fruit is God's work. The phrase fruit of the Spirit assigns the graces of the Christian character to the proper sources. They are not of man's producing. Man, I think there's something here, guys. I think there's such an ease to, to fall into the trying to work something, to try to build something. And he's going, I'm trying to produce something. Uh, that, that, that line where he says, works are always in the realm of dead things. Whoo! Like just imagine for that. I mean, you just take the pharisaical mindset. It's in the midst of deadness. There's no life. But there's trying to make something happen. But when we learn to abide, he produces a fruit. When we, when we, when we, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does, there's a, there's a fruit that is produced silently. And over time. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between the gifts and the fruit. This is, these are these areas where I'm like, I haven't even talked about the gifts of the Spirit. There are gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about them, okay? But there's a difference between the gifts. You're, when you're thinking the gifts, you're thinking prophecy. You're thinking healing. You're thinking all these type, different types of things that are listed. But then there's the fruit of the Spirit that came out of Galatians. They're not the same thing, right? Okay, obviously. Gifts, the spiritual gifts, have to do with capabilities, what we do. Fruit is spiritual character. It's who we are in the Lord. Fruit is not about what we do for the Lord, but it's how we do it. Oh, Did you catch that? Fruit's not about what we do. It's how we do it. Gifts result from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the fruits are produced by the fact you have the Spirit of God inside of you. This is another one of those areas. We haven't talked about this yet. When you get saved, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. But there is another place, another time, maybe at that same time, but a subsequent event where you are baptized with the Holy Spirit for power. Okay, they're two separate events. So, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit is when you begin to operate in the giftings. But you don't have to wait to be baptized in the Holy Spirit for the fruit to be produced. Because the Holy Spirit's inside of you already producing the fruit. So you can't be like, I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit, so I can be a jerk. Right? Doesn't work like that. Gifts are instantly received. Right? They're in the upper room. Boom! Fire! They're talking in tongues. Fruit is developed over time. Gifts alone cannot be the source of judging one's spirituality. Paul commended the church in Corinthians. He said, you, you, you operate in all the gifts, but you're carnal, but you got some issues, right? He's saying, you're well to work in all these things, but you're messed up. Now, here's the crazy thing. We know this. We understand this in theory, we understand I shouldn't judge you by your ability to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. But we don't really do it in practicality because we're real impressed by people that can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We're like, whew, that's cool. Look what they do. You know, I was thinking about um, Luke Holter. He came and did a prophecy, like School of the Prophets, man. It was awesome. It was cool. And I was like, I'm going to do a school 
on the fruit. Let's see who sells more books. He's going to win every day. Because we, we really get caught up with that, yet we're, we're, we're called to look at the fruit. We should be impressed by the fruit. Now, and I'll get there, give me a second. But Matthew 7, 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree can bear good fruit. Every tree does not bear good fruits, cut down, thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. This verse has always kind of thrown me a little because I'm like, okay, is it my job then to judge you by your fruit? Yes and no. Because what he's talking about here is false prophets. He's not talking about the guy that got saved yesterday. I can't be like, dude... You got saved yesterday. Like, what the world are you doing? You should be producing fruit. You should be walking in a love that's deep. But somebody who is spiritual, who's mature, who's a prophet, who's in that level, I should judge them by their fruit. I'm called to do that. But when we're dealing with, like, just us, when we're dealing with just growing, when we're dealing with people, we have to understand fruit is developed. It's developed. So you have to be real slow to judge and quick to judge at the same time. You come in here and you are super spiritual and you're like, I can operate in all the gifts of spirit and I got it going on. And you're trying to say things, then I'm going to judge you by your fruit. You got saved yesterday. We got a little grace. I don't expect your tree to be just heavy laden with apples. Does that make sense? So there has to be some balance in that, in that understanding. In that scripture, he's talking about false prophets. Here's a kicker. There are many gifts, but one fruit. Go to Galatians 22, or 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can never remember all nine. I can't do it. I try. They'll be like, what's the, I'm like, uh, because I'm trying to remember the King James versus the New King James, and the, I'm like, temperance and self-control, is that two of them? <laughs> like, yeah. I was so excited when I found out there's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and all these others are aspects of love. I'm like, i got to remember one. I can do that. I can remember there's the fruit, not the fruits, of the Spirit. There's the fruit of the Spirit. There's one fruit, and it's love. Some of y'all, they're like, I can remember all nine. You're like, nah, that's not cool. That's not cool. The fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are required to operate together. If you walk in the fruit of the Spirit, but you deny the gifts of the Spirit, like you're against that and you don't want that, you're missing the fullness of it. If you operate in the gifts of the Spirit and got no fruit, whew, Paul said you're nothing. But I, I don't want to downplay it to be like, you know, all that matters is the fruit because the gifts are vital and necessary and needed. And we want them. So I, I don't want to ever play like it's, it's all about the fruit or it's all about the gifts. They must work in conjunction with one another. And when they do... When you operate in the power of the Holy Spirit through the giftings, and it's backed, it's, it's motivated, it's done through love, whoa, watch out. Like, it's kicking then. Like, it's awesome. But we've all seen people who can operate in the gifts but got no fruit. King Saul prophesied that his fruit tree was a little bare. Right? We know those examples. At the same time, we know people that, that we would say are awesome fruit, but they got no gifts. And it's like, that's cool, and I'd rather be that. But I still would rather be both. I'd rather be somebody who has the fruit, has the love of God, and is operating in the gifts. And so that's what we're shooting for. That's, that's the end game here. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so let's talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to go through all nine of them. But understand, to love is to have all aspects of the other. 1 John 4, verse 7 says, It's beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who is of love, everyone who is love is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So there is an inner evidence of Christianity is seen through love. On the outside, we already did this verse, John 13. They will know you by your love for one another. They'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So there's an outer evidence of your Christianity through love. There, there really isn't. You, you can obviously see why this is the fruit and these other things back it. Because as good as long-suffering is, he's not going... He doesn't put near the emphasis on it that he does on love. Because if I do love right, I've got long-suffering. I've got patience. I walk in goodness. I walk in kindness. I walk in gentleness and self-control. But you look at it and you go, it's all love. See, you're going to see all nine of these things in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You're going to see all of them because they're all aspects of love. Which is funny because that chapter is right in the middle of 12 and 14, which talk about the gifts. He's like, here's some stuff about the gifts. Oh, by the way, you got to walk in love. Here's some more stuff about the gifts because they're tied together, okay? Second fruit, second aspect of love is joy. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is love's reaction to God. Joy is response to God. Joy is not based, how many of y'all heard this? Joy is not based on circumstances, right? You got joy whether you can pay your bills or can't pay your bills, okay? Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on he's God, right? And so there's, there's, a, there's solidness there to that. Joy is emotion. There is not a verse in the Bible that condemns our emotions, there are verses that condemn emotionalism, but not emotion. Joy is an emotion. There should be a sense of when you experience something of God, there's joy, and you go, "Woohoo!" Like, there should be a sense of, like, yeah, that's awesome. When, you, when you're in an awesome worship service, when God blesses you, when you get a job that God gave you, when God speaks something out of the Bible, there should be joy produced in you. And it should be. Come out. It may be the hairs on the back of your neck or a hoot and holler, but joy is emotion. Emotion is the condition of being inwardly moved. Emotionalism is seeking the emotion as an end for itself. So, 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 <laughs> uh, I think we're guilty of this cross life church is that sometimes we get into a real move of God in our services and we get to the emotion and we stop there. And we're like, whoa, that was a great service. I felt the Lord. It was glorious. Right? And then he's going, I want to take you past that place of where it's just like we're going, whoa, we, we felt something. God did it. But the problem with that is on the moments where we go, I didn't feel anything. Well, God didn't show up today. Music was too loud. Preacher couldn't preach. Wasn't there. Should have gone to the Baptist church. When the emotion becomes the end goal, we're stopped right there at the emotion. I'm preaching to the choir. This is all the people that don't come on Wednesday nights who I'm talking to. It's all good. Okay? But there's something that when we, when we, when we go, I'm not here just for the, the feelings. Great. I'm, I, wanna, I, want the, I want the hairs on the back of my neck. I, I want to be like, ooh, I feel it. Some of you are, how many of you are feelers? Like in the presence of God, you feel the presence of God. Okay, I'm not. I'm not that way, typically. Like it's, if I'm feeling it, he's like been here and blown up and like I'm the last one. I, 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 just, I just know, but it's not an emotional thing. But there's a sense like if I stop at that place of like, ooh, he's here, Instead of going, man, there's something more than just you being here, God. There's something more you're wanting to accomplish than just, I felt good in church today. You, you move into a whole new place. Let's stop with stopping at the emotion. 
Okay? You with me? And when there's not emotion, let's not assume he didn't show up. Okay, I'm getting off that soapbox. Moving on. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. (laughs) You should experience joy in the presence of God. Number three, peace. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace is deeper and more constant than joy. Okay? Peace is deeper and more constant in joy. Romans 5.1 speaks of being being at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, that is part of it. But peace is also not just only our response towards God. Like, I know that I'm righteous before you and you're not going to kill me dead. But it's also about our ability to respond to each other. Peace should be evident in your relationships with one another. We're not called to be contentious, quarrelsome. He says, if at all possible, live peaceably with one another. See, you have to understand when you're looking at all these aspects of love, they go upward and they go outward. All these, all these, all these eight aspects of love should tie into like how I respond to God, but also how I respond to you. So, so there, there's something to pursuing peace between each other. Number four, long-suffering. I love that word. Some people say patience, but that's not cool. Long-suffering, okay? 80, Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion. You're gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Patience is not resigning to trial, but the ability to stand within it. Patience is not, well, that's just what God's going to do. It's going, God, I stand because you are God. I'm patient because the Holy Spirit, let's go back to this. I'm patient because the Holy Spirit is developing that fruit within me. I'm not trying to work it up. I'm allowing the fruit to be developed. Now, the crazy thing is about Patience is it's developed in trial. (laughs) It's developed in the oomph, right? Okay? That's where the fruit grows best. But think of patience in two ways. One is, can I be patient with you? Which some use tougher than others. But think of it this way. Can I be patient with God? I've never thought of that before. But I'm thinking, man, I think that's even harder. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but me and God don't have the same time clock. Because we'd done been in revival by now if it's up to me. And Chester would have grown his hair back by now if it's up to me, right? So we have to think about, God, I, I want to think about patience in, 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 in lieu of you. Like, I want to think about in, in, in thinking about you. Like, when you're in a situation, am I willing to wait? I think this is in the simplest times, and I think this is in the long times. I think this is in our services. I think this is in times of worship when God's going, I just need you to wait. But I also think it's when we're going through it, and we're like, God, you promised you need to step it up. And he's going, wait. And he's going, allow the fruit of the Spirit to be developed in you. Because I don't think patience isn't developed without being patient. Does that make sense? It's like that sense of like that's that's where it's that's where it's brought is in that midst of see if if I'm not in a hurry to get somewhere, I'm full of the spirit. I'm good, man. I'm just golly lagging along, right? We're in New York, we walked everywhere. And we took buses and subways. Like, there was Uber, and we're like, we're not using Uber. We're real New Yorkers, right? Found out New Yorkers use Uber all the time. It's craziness, right? But we're like, we're, we're, we're going to walk everywhere. And so most of the time, we had no schedule. My wife and I go on vacation. We don't have schedules. we just like, what are we going to do today? And we just go, and we do, right? But one time, we had an appointment to meet with my aunt lives out there. We had an appointment to meet with her. 
And for some reason, we didn't plan well. And basically, she lives in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's a big island on like um, 91st Street. And we took a bus a half an hour before, like not a half an hour, probably an hour and a half before we needed to be there. We took a bus down to like the second street of Manhattan at five o'clock. And I said to Tiffany, I said, we're supposed to be at my aunt's house in such and such time. And I'm like, okay, here's the bus station we need, or the bus stop we need to go to. So we walk to the bus stop, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And I'm like, there's no bus coming. And I'm now getting anxious, and I'm getting frustrated. It's the end of the day, and there's tons of people. That's when patience is developed. The whole week, we're just chilling out. Patience, there was no need for patience. I was fine. But at that moment when I'm late, it's time to let that spirit of God develop that within me. We get on the bus. Everybody got on the bus. Like standing like this, right? And we're on that bus for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Because it stops every street practically. And I'm just like, and this one guy gets on with a board, six foot wide, four foot tall. It's already crowded. And he's like, i got to bring my board home. <laughs> he hauls on his board. He's like an old guy hauling on his board. And I'm like, whoo, my patience was not there. Right? <laughs> patience is produced. By the way, we were really, really late, in case you were wondering. Number five. Gentleness or kindness. First, First Corinthians thirteen four says, "Love suffers long and is kind." Here's the translation: of that don't be a jerk. That's kindness. Don't be a jerk. I, I really thought about this, and I think this is the one thing that I think probably gets Christians in most trouble. This is the thing that blows up our witness probably more than any of the others. Is you're just a jerk. And people are like, oh, you go to what church? And I say, I go to First Baptist in those moments. <laughs> but I think this is the one that gets us. So that's a real easy one. Be kind. Number six, goodness. For the fruit of the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness is love in action. It's one heaping benefits on another. This aspect of love, goodness, is probably the one that can be twisted the easiest because you can do good things wrongly. Okay? Well, so what's that look like? The Pharisees did a lot of good things, but God still called them out on it because they were doing it in the wrong motive. They were doing it with the wrong heart. So this is seen in our examples in our day and time is like when I start doing something in the church and start helping, but nobody notices, and then I get mad because nobody sees what I'm doing. There you're doing good, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Does that make sense? So, so this one can be so easily twisted. I think this is, this is an aspect of love that is so kind of tough to get right. Now, I, I don't want to... I don't want to freeze you. I don't want to cause you to be gun-shy towards goodness. But it's just like there's a sense of motive in it. There's a sense of like, why am I doing what I'm doing? I, I really kind of got more cognizant in my own time, and there's a lot of good things I do that I'm like, don't want to be doing this right now. Right? Like, I don't, want, I don't want to help you. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, right? And, like, there's just kind of this grumbling, and I'm like, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's me producing a work. Does that make sense? Unless you're cooking a dish for me, then I don't care what your attitude is. Just keep doing good things. <laughs> Number seven is faith, or translated faithfulness. While faith in God and his word is the basis of our relationship with him and the avenue through which his blessings flow for our lives, what is in view here is the faithfulness of character and conduct that the faith produces. There's two ways of thinking about this virtue, faithfulness. One is, is trustworthiness. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in this much, da-da-da-da, right? It's a sense of I'll stick to my word. When I do what I say I'm going to do, I'm, I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. But, but there's also another aspect of this that I think is stinking cool. It's trustfulness. Here's this one. It's believing the best about people, not suspicious or yielding, 
First Corinthians 13, verse 6 and 7 says, does, do not, does, Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. Faithfulness is the ability to not be suspicious at everything. And that one punched me in the gut, right? Faithfulness is not cynicism. Faithfulness is a sense to like. And here's the crazy thing. When you believe everybody, you're going to get burned. Time and time again. But there's a sense of me like, I'd rather be burned and be faithful than be cynical and not be faithful. This one's hard. Though. Man, this one, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. This one's hard. This one's hard because we, we see the junk. We see the stuff. We see you making the same promise again and again. But there's a sense of like, I'm just going to believe you. I'm going to believe you. Okay, this is a real obvious example. Um, <laughs> yesterday, Chester and I went up to the hospital in Little Rock. We took his Jeep and uh, no doors. This arm is suntan, burned. This one, nothing. Nothing at all, right? Okay, we go up there. It's it's weird because it's like blowing. I've never ridden a motorcycle that far, but it's like blowing the whole time. I just wanted to sleep. Like I'm just like, this feels so nice, you know, right? So we get up there. We're in town, and we're pulling up to an intersection, and there's a homeless dude. There's a lane right here that you can turn left, and there's a lane right here that you can turn left. I'm going to take the far enough lane from the homeless dude. Pastor Chester's like, no! <laughs> He's like, how you doing? <laughs> and I'm like... And I'm just like, dude. And I'm thinking of all those news stories about how, like, they're professional homeless people that are making bank, right? They're, like, they're getting out of their caddy and coming over and shaking their hat, you know? And I'm like, and he's like, because this just Chester's heart. Like, he's just a good person. And, he, and he's, like, making conversation. And how you doing, man? And the guy's like, God bless you. And he's like, thank you. I appreciate that. And the guy's like, you got any money? He's like, nah. <laughs> I'm like, you're so cruel, <laughs> right? We just didn't have any cash. I was like, you should give me your Jeep. That's, that's the Lord, right? He didn't hear the Lord in that. But, but there, there's that sense of, like, when you think about homelessness and you're in a city of any size, and you're just like, nah, they're all, like, I'm cynical towards that. But imagine if I was faithful. And there was just a sense of, like, man, if I can help them, I'm going to help them. Because there's verses about if you can do good for folks, if it's in your ability to do good for folk, do it. Oh, that's not an easy one for me. You guys are probably good at that, but that's, that's a tougher one for me. Number eight, meekness. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest of your souls. This is slowness to anger. This is self, not selfishly aggressive, not quarrelsome, not contentious, but, but not shy and timid. Pastor Chester did a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this. He said, It's power under control. Best definition ever. Why was Jesus meek? Because he had all the resources of heaven at his hand. <laughs> he had every bit of power, but he was controlled enough to say, I don't need the angels to take me off this cross. Whew. That's meekness. That's, meekness is my ability to punch you and win, but not punching you and win. It's that sense of like, it's, that, it's not shyness, it's not timidness. There, the meekness is confidence, but it's confidence in God. It's confidence in him, not confidence in me. Right? Does that make sense? Power under control. That's good stuff. Last one. Temperance. <laughs> or some people that have less cooler versions of the Bible, it probably says self-control. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Self-control, this is going to sound weird, so just think about it. Just ponder it. Just chew on it. Self-control is the best aspect, of, is like a good positive aspect of self-love. Just think about that for a little while, okay? Self-control is, 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 is found in these verses. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. 
The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And God has raised up the Lord, and God, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Or verse 19, and do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, who is not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Here's something just to chew on. This is a question I've been thinking about. <clears throat> this is one of those statements that I, if I offend you, I really apologize. I'm not trying to even do that preacher thing where like gotcha, but but think about this. What does self-control look like when it's produced by me versus it's produced by the Spirit? Because we're all about, like, the self-discipline thing, right? We're all, like, that's the, you can read a hundred books on, like, getting, getting control of your life, taking control of your life, do this, and have some discipline, and get up early, and da-da-da-da-da, and do all these things. But I'm like, what does it look like? What's the difference? And so there's, there's been a, a number of people in our church that in the last year, two years, have like lost large amounts of weight, like have got healthy about their eating. And I didn't get the permission of the one, so I'm not saying who it is, but one of them said this. They said at one point in time, like when I was getting ready to start this journey, I was like, God, I can't do this on my own. Like I can't eat like I should eat because I like food. <laughs> You've got to develop this within me. And I'm telling you, that person is kicking butt and taking names. Like they're, and like long term, like they're just doing awesome with it. And I'm going, there's a difference between I just want to do better versus I want the Spirit of God to develop the fruit of self-control in my life. There's a difference. And I think when we're trying to work through all the fads and all those things, like the, you, those may be powerful tools and they may be used by God, but it has to start with, God, I can't do this. <laughs> it has to, it ha and, and it's funny because it's, 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 that's the same line as if you're addicted to drugs or if you're addicted to cheeseburgers. Right? There has to be this sense of like, it's not, it's not, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it because you ain't going to do it. But there's a sense of like, God, I can't do this unless I let the Holy Spirit produce self-control within me. The Holy Spirit is the secret to weight loss. That's my next book. Very excited. Pre-order your copy now. How is the fruit of the Spirit, how is love developed in my life? He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing without me. Abide within me. How do we love deeply? Getting with God. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work. I love in that quote I read earlier, he said, all our job is to do is to be diligent. He produces the fruit. I was talking to Pastor Cleegy about this. I'm like, you didn't grow any of these flowers out here. But you water them, and you trim them, and you prune them, and you put the fertilizer in. You're diligent but if she ever took the credit for growing the flower, she's missing it. What is diligence? Diligence is spending time in the Word. Diligence is praying. It's spending time in the secret place. It's allowing the Holy Spirit. As we're going through, this is diligence. This is diligence tonight, what we're doing when we're going, I want to know you, Holy Spirit. I want to know you in ways I do. And as we're diligent to that and we're abiding, the fruit is being developed. Stand up on your feet. Does that make sense? One fruit, praise the Lord. It's easy to remember. We're not doing that nine thing anymore, okay? Keep it easy. Pastor Chester. Give him out a hand. <laughs> Sit back down real quick. Sit back down real quick. Just one second. Sit back down real quick. One second, one second, one second. It's not a school night or anything. A uh, couple, of th couple of things. Number one, I know he said it earlier. Ramona will be here Sunday. Get as many people here as you can. It's going to be fantastic. Somebody say amen. I'm going to, I get teased all the time about re-preaching the Matt sermon. I'm going to say three quick things, and I promise it's going to be quick. I can do that because I'm the pastor. Okay, now listen. Here we go. Number one. Uh, no, I'm going to make this number two. 1 Corinthians 14. Is there a word person up there? 1 Corinthians 14, 
Um, let's try verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. This is the New King James Version. Um, NASB reads the same. Pursue love. Everybody say love. Desire spiritual gifts. Everybody say gifts. Okay? The word gifts is not supposed to be in your Bible. Right there. Matter of fact, if you have an NASB, if you're looking at it, it's italicized because it's added for emphasis. He was talking about earlier about the balance of fruit and gifts. Okay? Uh, here's how it should read. Pursue love, desire earnestly, spiritual. Here's what I want to say. Like to balance the, the, what he said earlier about be full of the fruit to, and I, this is a tough statement, to, to identify that there is gifts of the Spirit, yet to not want them is to choose to be less spiritual. Pursue love, desire to be spiritual, especially that you'd prophesy. Okay? And, you, and I, we, we can say, and, and I'm going to get hammered for this, I know. We can say that as long as you have the fruit and you're doing really well on the fruit, the other stuff is kind of like accessory package. You know what I'm talking about? You've heard talk about people who didn't operate in the gifts of the Spirit, and but, they, but man, they, that person loved people and that person, you know what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, either way, to have one or the other is in some level saying, I want less. God's best plan for your life is to excel in both. Amen? Okay? So what Paul says, spiritual gifts, he just really identifies as just the nature of being spiritual. So how about you if you're spiritual? Okay, good. Then, raise, then if you're spiritual, you will, op, you will operate in the spiritual gifts. Number two, uh, uh, John Thurlow has this song. I'm a big John Thurlow fan. He says, in this song, he says this. He says, if faith without works is dead... So is love without expression. If faith without works is dead, so is love without expression. My personal opinion, Matt is correct when he says there's one fruit called love. And the rest of those is the expression of love. So love without joy, love without patience, love without self-control. You see what I'm saying? So if faith without works is dead, in other words, you, you know that if you'll sow, you'll reap, right? The same thing. If love without expression is dead, you can't say I'm full of the love of God yet not express those things he just talked about. Are y'all with me? If faith without works is, if, is dead, so is love without expression, okay? And the third thing is, uh, let's say that this is the emotionalism thing he talked about. Stand up for me real quick. He comes down for prayer, okay? This is what, and this, this, this one right here will preach big time. He comes down for prayer, and he is, uh, let's, I'm not going to name a sickness, but let's say he has a serious sickness or disease. He comes down for prayer and he wants healing. He comes to a church who believes in the gifts and are spiritual and believe in the power of God to heal. Amen? Amen? This is what happens in most of our services, and this needs to change. I love him. He comes and he says, I have XYZ sickness. Emotionalism is this that I'm now mourn with his diagnosis. Brian, or not Brian, Bill Johnson taught this. I begin to mourn with his diagnosis, and we cry, and we hug, and we feel better at the end of his prayer. Correct? But what did he come for? The church should look like that they come, in it, and I hear me, I'm not saying that the crying and the emotional part isn't good, and isn't even necessary at times. But if all we can provide for him is sympathy, he came for healing. But most of us in the church are satisfied with the, the, the connection we feel through that sympathy. Uh, Jesus, Jesus didn't have sympathy and healed them all. He had compassion and his compassion led to healing them all. There's a difference between sympathy and compassion. Sympathy is emotionalism. Compassion is my heart bleeds for your healing. Let's see it follow through. 
the church that is spiritual is the church that will move, will not be satisfied in the sympathy, emotional experience, but will move past it where healing is manifest, where deliverance is manifest, where salvation is manifest, where I'm not just satisfied that you attended church Sunday morning. I'm happy that you got your life rocked by the Holy Ghost. You see what I'm saying? So we have got to not just be satisfied with family on an emotional standpoint. Okay? We want to see the power of God, the fruit of God, the gifts of God bearing and doing what they were designed to do. If you have the gift of healing, then we should see healing manifest, but we circumvent healing because we are satisfied with emotion. Okay? So let's readjust our priority system. I don't mind having emotion, but let's take it one step further. Amen? Everybody good? All right, didn't I do better than Matt? Praise God. Everybody stand up on your feet. When we were in Bible school, you remember that time that we had this professor who was like, I mean, to us, it was like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and then there was this professor. And one time this professor let this guy get up there and say something in front of the class, and he tried like preaching up a storm, and then he took his professor's water and just downed the whole thing and set it down, and everybody was like, you the man, right? That's right, so. I just drank the professor's drink. All right, anyway, Holy Spirit, I thank you for nights like tonight when you convict Chester's heart. Am I the only one? I thank you for nights like tonight when you convict my heart. I thank you that when we sing, show us your glory, you say my glory is in the fruit. My glory is in the love. So I pray that we would, that we would embrace the glory of the fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, good night. We hope that this message from Cross Life Church was a blessing and encouragement to you. If we can pray for you or help in any way, please let us know by reaching out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.